Hello, my name is Aviva Silverman, and I will be having a conversation with Erica Don Lyo for the New York City Trans Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is March 21st, 2023, and it's being recorded on Zoom. Hi, Erica. Hi, Aviva. I am so happy to see you. And can you tell everyone where you are? Yeah, I'm in Florida right now, actually. I'm um, at a queer commune that's called the Passion Vine in Lake Worth, Florida. And um, I have been working on a movie project for a couple of years and some art projects in Florida. So my partner Midnight and I come down here um, and spend several months every year, four or five months in the wintertime and um, work on our projects here before we go back home to New York. Okay, there's a lot in there. Um, I mean, I'll say I'll just say that like the place I'm in tangentially is, um, is extremely beautiful. It's like you know, it is a queer tropical paradise. It's it's like a a chunk of land by the railroad tracks. That, you know, and this is it's it's a publicly known place. I I'm not disclosing anything. Um, it's actually on Google Maps, which is strange, but um. And there's this massive mango tree that's fruiting right now. And there's jackfruit trees and bougainvillea and just like this really wonderful tropical vibe in this like plot of land. And I don't know, there's like people coming through here all the time and working on various projects and stuff. So um, it's pretty nice uh, to, to see what people are doing here. They're very industrious and are sort of, dedicated to um I don't know they they seem to care about each other a lot and they spend all day working on the social reproduction of the house <laughs> you know they're, they're just like this is what we do we live in this awesome place and we work on it <laughs> it's really nice <laughs> wow what is your relationship to communal life um communal life is like a little bit of a um you know it is it's like an aspirational uh project for me I think which is like I have, I am someone who um, has often felt very solitary in life. Like my, my childhood experience of growing up in Florida was a sense of like great isolation. I lived in like a small kind of suburban town north of Miami and um, it felt like a pretty lonely life. I didn't feel like there were like people around that like really understood what I was into or anything. And then when I moved to the Bay Area later in life, um I became enmeshed in like the kind of communal and collective like activist projects of the Bay Area like pretty quickly and that was something I was really excited about was um there is like a there historically has been this you know before the tech world there was historically in the Bay Area this really um uh primacy of collective kind of uh community-based art and writing and music like people did a lot of stuff um for the group and there was a lot of like attention to like making these sort of like yearly rituals for like queers and punks and activists and that kind of thing um and so which is something that i don't find as much in new york city which is it seems like much more of a place that's like um uh oriented around the individual and individual success um i moved to new york in 2009 and missed a lot of that bay area vibe and um and then about six years ago, I did a residency in upstate New York in the Hudson Valley. 
and kind of fell in love with the place and the people there and decided to, um, my partner and I decided that we would try to go and make some communal life with those people upstate. And so we've moved upstate and like had various degrees of success in, um, in those efforts um, in the past since like 2017. Um, when you say you made some efforts to create a communal life upside, what was, <laughs> were there some sort of like founding philosophy or some sort of like ethics? <laughs> no, I mean, this is a miasma a little bit. Cause it's like, I think like what, like what happened for us is that, um, like we did successfully create community. Like we were able to, um, through a series of cultural events and gatherings, we're able to assemble like a, a pretty large group of people that like has like regularly come together and really cares about each other and helps each other. Um, and some of those people moved upstate, but I think there was a little bit of like, a, um, some of it was a little bit based on affect. You know, there was an idea that like everybody thought that they knew what was happening, you know? Maybe it was like a crush, you know? It was like, I don't want to mess this up by talking about it too hard, you know, but we all want the same thing, right? <laughs> so so that kind of vibe was going on for a while where we we're all super crushed out on each other and having like a pretty great time. And then at some point we were like, oh wait, okay, actually maybe we all like have a pretty different idea of like what the future would look like and how we would make it, you know? Um, and so I would say at this point, like the like the idea that those group that that group of people would like live together in some way formally and intentionally in a like in a in an intentional community is like not on the table really but like but like in january you know i had like a surgery that went wrong and i had like really fucked up complications and like all those people organized like weeks of care and like totally like held me really well and like it like came to my aid like you know in a, without a missing a beat you know so I know that those people are there um but we did not start the commune and I think that like I think the tension between like um not that I necessarily want to devote the interview to this but the um but for me right now, I'm, I am thinking a lot about the tension between individual and collective endeavor as we face like greater like catastrophe of climate change and pandemic and fascism um, of what it, you know, of, of what it means to try to get capitalism out of our bodies. Like how can we reorient towards uh, working together on a shared goal for our shared survival but we also like all want to be like, and I'm speaking for myself, you know, it's like, I also like want to come to Florida and make a movie four months out of the year. And I want that movie to be successful. And I want to like go on tour as a musician. I, I actually don't want to like be around the commune, like um, making butter all day, <laughs> et cetera. <laughs> we have a joke about the butter churn. <laughs> An Asian Vermont fantasy. <laughs> Very lesbian legs rustling against the the butter churn, <laughs> but um, and so you know it's like there's that tension in myself too of like well like how you know how am I oriented towards the community and then how is it like ingrained in me how am I made out of capitalism how am I made out of this individuality that's part of our society. Hmm. 
Okay. So I think in terms of timeline, it would be really helpful for us to kind of go back since I, I hear that you lived in a few different cities and had very radically different experiences of social yeah. life. Um, so you said you first grew up in Florida. Yeah. Um, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, interestingly, I think Florida has more to do with my trans development in some ways than the Bay Area. Like, um, you know, when I was a kid, when I was pretty young, like starting at like eight or nine, you know, I started cross-dressing and stuff and was like, had like an inner world that was very trans. And um, as I got older, I kind of suppressed that. And like, you know, I lived in like a... um. I lived in a, a pretty abusive home, you know, it's like my mom married this pretty violent redneck guy and um, she had been a single mom and we had sort of, you know, we were like in a town where a lot of people had money, but we didn't. And um, so she was really struggling and we had kind of like, you know, in some ways had like a little bit of a team going. She was like kind of like working hard to keep some food on the table and I was doing really well in school. Um, she ended up with this guy who was just pretty fucked up and like, you know, tried to kill me a couple of times. It's like bad stuff happened. Um, and I ended up getting kicked out of the house when I was 17 um, because he had had a restraining order against him and had to, when, when that finished and he was coming back into the home my mom was like you have to go because I can't protect you you know and I was like well I wish that you would tell him to go instead but here we go so that's how my life started um you know my adult life started as me becoming someone who was like um you know I moved into like punk rock community and I got out of my hometown and went down to Miami and started living in squats and started traveling around the country on free trains and joining bands and doing a fanzine and, and becoming connected with this like um, national DIY punk community and activist community. Um, and like somehow sort of like in that search for identity, like my queerness got kind of like lost. I was like really making it up as I went along and I was pretty traumatized. I was like a 17 year old trying to figure out what to do. Um, when I look back, it's pretty crazy. Like my best friend and Ivy and I, we like, we were so raw, you know, we we're just like, we spent a lot of time together living in spots. We were both just like street kids. We became best friends sort of randomly, you know, just kind of like, okay, we're helping each other out. It wasn't until like, we were in our thirties that we were able to sort of process like what real friendship is like, you know, and now we're like in our forties and we're like tight, you know, <laughs> but like, so it was really like, there's just so much rawness with that from Florida. And it wasn't until, um, I got, you know, even with all that queer community in San Francisco, I kind of was just too fried and too numb. And it wasn't until I got to New York and started doing somatic experiencing therapy and healing from a lot of my abuse trauma that I was able to sort of reconnect with my body in a way that that like reminded me of that transness and um that came really that came back really hard for me like kind of like right after I moved to New York because I was so alone <clears throat> like I got out of community that I was thick in in the Bay Area where I was like really really deep in all these projects 
and I'd put out some books and people knew my work really well. And I was in all these bands and I got to New York and I was like very isolated all over again. I was starting over from the beginning and I was having trouble finding my people. And um, in all that solitude, I started writing a lot about being queer and like thinking about what kind of queer person am I? And I was like, well, I don't think I'm a gay man. I think I'm a trans woman actually is what's going on. Um, and sort of struggling with that and trying to make sense of it for a couple of years. And then there was a time where I went back to Florida. I had not really spent much time in Florida. I would maybe, my stepfather died and my mom was alone and I would visit her like once a year or something around the holidays. Um, but I came back right out around the time of Donald Trump's election actually. And um you know, I was like walking in the, I was like, at that time I was like, had just finished up. I had done a book called Streetopia that was out, that was a result of a, like kind of like this enormous art project that I had curated in San Francisco that was like my goodbye to that city. And I had been touring on that book for a year and going around and like speaking at colleges and stuff. And I was just like so busy. And in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, as soon as this book is done, I can figure out what it means for me to be trans. Like, I just have to get through this. I'm like speaking in public like every single day. But I'm like, as soon as I get some time to myself. And I went back to Florida. And, um, you know, when I was a kid in Florida, like, I spent so much time hanging out in um, what adults called empty lots, which was just like these like pine, floor pine forests that were like everywhere that hadn't been developed into ugly strip malls yet. And that's kind of where so much of my inner life took place was just like spending all day in these forests that I love so much, white sand, saw palmetto mix with um, with the pine, usually next to the train tracks. Um, and I was taking a walk in a place like that by my mom's that I found um, on the full moon in December of that year. And I had such a powerful body memory of being a girl it was like I was just like there is no doubt like I, it's like the, it was like the oldest feeling and it came from this connection with the oldest place and I was like this is what it felt like when I was like four years old and I was in this place before like before everyone told me to be different and um and so that's where I decided, you know, I didn't even really decide, you know, it's just like, that's where like, I was like, okay, I'm an out trans person. Like the next day I went to the mall in Merritt Island, Florida and bought some heels. And I went back to the, to the like empty lot over there. And I walked around in the like little street next to it. And I was like, cool, it's all starting. You know, it was like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's sort of a magical place for me. Now that I'm down here in Florida, like in the so then in the past five years, yeah, it's like I, you know, it's like the movie we're making. So much of it takes place in these kind of like Florida landscapes and uh, Florida abandoned places, um, and it's been happening in real time with my transition and with body changes and stuff. Um, yesterday for the um, equinox, I found this incredible ficus jungle in my hometown i went down and was like looking for this old pine forest that maybe has been overtaken by ficuses i can't tell what's going on but um the the pine forest of yesteryear is now this like edenic um place of towering ficus trees and banyans that i had this wonderful day of just sort of dancing and like 
uh sobbing you know trying to get some like winter bummers out and like just like really having a good equinox clearing it out ritual and i feel so good today <laughs> so these places are very important to me um florida definitely feels like an extreme extremely important part of like what trans feels like in my body mm. did i miss anything no i mean keep going it's beautiful <laughs> i wish i could feel that i want to get the summer the winter without yeah I know. I'm sorry, babe. I know it's probably colder, <laughs> anymore, but it can't be as cold as it was like two weeks ago. I bet it's getting better. <laughs> it's getting better. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, recently I went to, um, I mean, I guess this charts a little bit too. Um, a couple of years ago, I got really excited about the occupation of the Atlanta forest when, um, when activists started occupying that space. And I've been following that really closely. And in October, or last year I played some benefit, like a benefit show for that and had the opportunity to connect with some activists there. And um, so in October of last year, I went down and played a solo show in the forest. It's a different kind of pine. You know, it's a Georgia experience. It's not a white sand, um, Florida thing. And I know there is a Florida, Georgia kind of rivalry. I didn't really feel that. I love that forest, the Atlanta forest. Um, and there were like so many... Um, like the people who are defending the forest there are like mostly trans you know and it was like really wonderful to see and the show was super lit there was just like a couple hundred kids there was a big rave there was tons of dancing it was this amazing night and um i still am pulling like pine needles out of my amp and like my i find them all in my car and in my stuff there's just like pine needles that have <laughs> stuck to me from that night you know like something that i brought back from a dream and um I recently made a record after um, the protester was killed in in the Atlanta forest in January by police. I got um, I was sort of overtaken by this. Uh, you know, I had been thinking about doing a benefit for them, but um, I decided to like really devote some time to that and spent a couple weeks working on um, a solo record that's to benefit that cause and. Um, and that just came out and I, I this stuff's all fresh in my mind because I wrote a lot of I wrote this liner notes for the record that's very much about this like I was sort of like really connecting that experience of um of like the pine forest that these kids are in that where they're like feeling this like real safety and togetherness as trans people and they're also called to defend this forest so there's this kind of symbiosis between the forest and the protesters and then they're using the like terrain of the forest to like repel the police to make it inhospitable to the developers and um and i was thinking of how much trans is under attack right now it's like who's under attack the most in the country right now it's like trans people homeless people and these protesters in atlanta you know are like the, are like the most under getting the most charges and um I was just thinking how much, like, what are the connections between these kinds of untamed spaces? You know, like the effort in the Atlanta forest is to um, not just save it from development, but the, to really make it into a kind of an autonomous place. That's like the, the, the desire there is that it would be something like the Zod in France or something like um, that. It would be like people's park writ large, you know, and, um, and that's <clears throat> what, you know, it's so it's interesting that these, 
that these geographical spaces that are potentially outside of capitalism, um, you know, People's Park in Berkeley is also really under attack right now. Um, that um, like the way that that geographical untameness sort of connects to me in my mind around trans subjectivity and the inner life of being trans and um, how threatening it is to society that people might like wander in this free terrain and not be like inside of a binary and just like feel how they want to feel right <clears throat> and um so i really felt like a powerful connection between my original originary pine forest experiences and and my gender experience and then like being in the atlanta forest and what it was offering to people there um anyway that's that's what's been on my mind lately <laughs> yeah and how does it feel to be in florida where florida is like such a hotbed of all this legislative you know violence against trans people you know it's really crazy it's um because like there's so much to, to pick apart and i'm still trying to process it and understand it really but um i mean one thing that i've realized since i'm here is that um I I'm like in love with this place it's like I'm doomed to like care about this fucked up place and that sucks because it's not good <laughs> you know it's like it's not an easy place to care for um I was talking about it with my friend Amanda we're doing a writing project together and a lot of that writing she's teaching in the University of Tampa now and so she's also we're here together sort of sharing this burden of loving this place and being inside of this attack on on queer people trans people and in her case on educators and um and just thinking about like the way that there's two floridas like there's like this strip mall hell and then like behind the strip mall is this jungle of total freedom that's just like still there like the ficus jungle that's like behind the golf course you know um and so you know i spend all this time just like whenever whenever i'm like bummed out i'm like what's behind this store <laughs> you know like i'm just gonna like i'm gonna just walk around the back and see like a oak tree for a second and just like chill you know <laughs> it's gonna be fine um or see like some like lizard scuttling through the gutter you know but um and so I'm trying to like keep it together here. Um, my actual lived experience in Florida, you know, it's like, and and I mean, actually, I want to say almost in the entire world, it's like the only, the most fucked with I've ever been as a trans person is in New York City, right? And the second most is London. Um, I've never been fucked with as a trans person in Florida. Um, not a, not even a little bit, like anywhere. In my experience right now, it's a, it's such a disconnect between like what's happening in the media where it's like trans people are the villain, but I'm just like in the store and the public's bag boys are like ogling my legs the same as always. And the grannies are like, here you go, hon. You know, it's just like, everything's the same, you know? Um, and so I don't know what that means. You know, I like I find myself second guessing myself sometimes because I am kind of a wild person and I am going to be like um, trespassing in the ficus jungle in the suburb. And I am going to be like maybe um, walking out the door with a cartload of groceries and not entirely paying for them, you know, <laughs> sometimes. So like um, 
I am like, what is safe now? I don't even know. Or if I'm just walking around in like this neighborhood and like, like a cop is like, why are you walking around at three in the morning? And then I produce an ID and all of a sudden it's like a friction, you know? And so that's in the back of my mind, but it hasn't really caused me to live differently um, because I don't really feel anything different in the world. Um, but as far as what it's like to be here, it's, it is heartbreaking. Um, in this commune I'm in, like young trans people come over to like prepare for demos. Like there was a demonstration in Orlando last week. <clears throat> people came over to make signs and stuff and they're all like really young and sweet. And it's just sad, you know, it's just like, why are we, why are we having to do this? You know? Um, and, and then meanwhile in Florida, I mean, oh babe, it's so fucked up. It's like, there's like the entire Gulf Coast is covered in dead fish right now, you know, for weeks. There's been like a record red tide, which is caused by nitrogen runoff. And so like literally thousands and thousands of pounds of dead fish ruined spring break on the Gulf Coast. They're just like rotting on the beach. And like, that's what's going on while trans people are like the problem, right? Um, or why like, while like, talking about how slavery was bad and school should be illegal <laughs> you know so so it's it is really crazy um the thing is the thing about it really is that florida itself is trans it's like it really it's like florida is a deeply transgender piece of land i mean it's like it's a feral feminine lush jungle that's like been told it's a boy it's been told it's a military bro you know <laughs> and it's like and it's like, you know, sinkhole, it opens up the sinkhole under the strip mall because it's like in protest, it's like body modding the shoreline. It's like eroding away like the beach where the tourists are, you know, it's like, it's, it's like just the, the land does what it wants. And if you turn off the air conditioner for five minutes, the swamp comes back, it takes over, you know? So, you know, Florida is going to be all right. You know, whatever happens with climate change, it's not like people are going to stop living here. You know, it's going to get like in in a hundred years, forty years, it's probably going to be a pretty interesting place again. Like, you know, like it's going to be pretty wild, you know. But um, that what said, the, uh, what would the commune look like then? How how do you imagine it? I know it's a good question, right? Because it's like, there, I mean, it's funny. There's this like, um, okay, so you know that thing where like the colonizer kills something and then names the place after it where they're like this is like indian drive but it's like where they killed all the native americans you know or whatever you know that kind of thing which is what florida is all about um i mean it's what america is all about but like there's so much of that in south florida um but there's also this like there's this thing like that about the white rednecks too because there's this mythology of the like florida crackers this like really self-reliant like hard like country figure who like can live in the swamp and knows how to like trap and catch all the fish and like how to deal with all the bugs and the elements of florida um but these like white rednecks today are like factory farmed you know what i'm saying these guys are like driving around these like big f-150 f-150 ford trucks like they live entirely in air conditioning like they're like watching donald trump on cable news all day these people are not going to survive the apocalypse <laughs> like no matter how many guns they have they're not going to know what to do you know and so there's this way too that those people have sort of taken on the like trapping of like i am this like rugged self-reliant like florida person um that is also false and um 
I would expect in the future, like there will be like that Florida will probably be similar to now, but like less settled, you know, and there'll be like small pockets of like pretty rugged, like self-reliant people of all political persuasions, like trying to figure out how to like um, coexist in the way that it was. um, What year are we in now? Yeah, like 200 years ago. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's just going to be like similar to it was. It's going to be like settler life. Um, That's what I expect. But I will say the thing I was going to say about Florida that is, and about the national climate that is hard is that, um, so I don't feel anything on the street or anything, but like, but I do feel like the, um, like the fervor to eliminate trans people like I see how it's affected my ability to like imagine the future, you know? Um, so you're asking me about the future, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, like theoretically, um, you know, I'm a, like a middle-aged person, um, unfortunately, <laughs> I have to say that, who lives in a pretty nice place now that I really love surrounded by community. I have, like thousands of books that I've acquired over the years that I would like to turn into some kind of community library, reading room, residency situation. You know, I'm working on this film and like various like memoir projects. I'm like in the like, you know, I'm like in my legacy period, you know what I'm saying? I should be chilling out enjoying the fruits of my labor. And instead I'm like, oh, it's, you know, like, wait, actually like, um, maybe we can't like build for the future. Like maybe some lunatic down the street's going to come burn down our house next week, just because they saw in the news that they were supposed to, you know, whatever. And um, I'm not like a person that like, I don't want to flee the country or something. You know, it's like, I want to live where I want to live. And um, let's see these questions start to come up for everybody. Like, what are we supposed to do? How are we going to take care of each other? And so, you know, that is a question that the, you know, that the queer commune is addressing as well. That's the question that trans people are probably starting to talk about a great deal uh, privately, I hope, you know. Uh, Yeah. I was wondering um, if you were brought up with any form of religion or if you practice anything um, that could be religious or spiritual now. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't brought up with religion. Um, strangely um or politics yeah my mother was very apathetic um was just really dissociated and was like not like i mean my my favorite quote of my mom's was like in november of 2011 i was coming to visit and she was like well i hope you didn't have too much you know it was like around christmas and she's like i hope you didn't have too much trouble at the airport honey i know things are crazy after that november 11th (laughs) it's like she really just doesn't know what's going going on she's like been in a fog her entire life um and so there was no effort towards christianity or anything like that um and i didn't feel that present in my world um nor did i feel like republican politics or anything like that or liberal politics i don't know how i turned out the way i turned out i was adopted i'm not actually related to those people you know i'm like from space it's it's like really it's been awkward the whole time you know um and so, yeah, you know, it's like somewhere along the way, 
before I was trans out as trans, I started developing a spiritual practice um, that I think came, you know, I have a friend named Mo who's a witch in Portland and she's just like an old dear friend from activist world and um, from zine writing world. And um, she's a witch, you know, she's uh, an out witch and she uh, would just talk to me, talk to me about it openly in a way that like, so I'm like an art curator, right? And she's talking to me about like her witch experience. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like this, you know, sounds like classic 70s conceptual art to me. Some of the stuff you're talking about, like how you're like, um, you know, experiencing things or imagining things. Or they're also very poetic. Most of my friends are poets too. And I started to become interested in her practice, um, kind of from relating to it in that way <clears throat> and started to do more like, and because of because of my experience with somatic therapy and getting more like doing things that were more body and, and grounded in the physical um, as a way to heal from trauma, I started finding it useful to to devise different kinds of like rituals for myself that would like help me have physical sensations that would like help me like think about or, or move through different processes that I was struggling with. And so that that sort of evolved into a um into a like a a spiritual practice that feels very like ad hoc and it would be difficult to like describe as related to like you know a particular thing but it's like is a lot of is a lot about like um <laughs> having sex with trees <laughs> or just talking to them <laughs> that's what trees give me <laughs> i just said that because i wanted a lot of you laugh <laughs> so I do sort of have one yeah and um what are some of the ways you've like what are what comprises the somatic therapy I'm just curious what oh okay um like somatic experiencing therapy is sort of based on the idea that like um certain traumatic experiences are stored in different parts of your body and so one of the um so you might do like like an early basic kind of therapy you know like some early things i remember from early in therapy were like you know like my therapist we would like think about a subject and then be like what do you notice in your body right so i'd be like oh i noticed that my right foot is like suddenly like poised for like running away or something you know like i'm clenching my jaw or whatever you know and so you think about like well, what happened? and you start to like notice where it is in your body and stuff and then it almost is like i mean it's it felt so much like a magic trick which is why it felt related to spirituality is because it would be like really difficult for me to explain why it would be that like if i like got up and like <clears throat> like in slow motion like pretended to or thought really hard about like punching my stepfather, but I did it as slow as possible and then put my fist against the wall and pushed really hard. Like, why would that make it so that I didn't feel that pain anymore? Like, but it like somehow did, you know? So, so like, I, I just had so many crazy results with that where I was like, wow, this is just wild stuff. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in there, but I trust it implicitly. Mm. And when you came to New York, where did you land? 
Um, I lived at a house uh, called the 1011 house in Bed-Stuy that um, had, has been like a long kind of activist and artist locale above the uh, Bed about the Lafayette, uh, sorry, the Bedford Nostrand G-Stop. Um, we talked about curating a big art show out of it after we left, but then we were just so sick of thinking about it. <laughs> you know, so we were like, okay, there's like 30 cool people that have lived here, we could do a show. Um, <clears throat> but um, I had sublet there in 2007, I came out to um, write my book, first book for Soft Skull. <laughs> and so I um was subletting at that house and I worked all summer there and then and a room opened up and I moved in in 2009 and I, it was really cheap for a while. I ended up living there until I moved away in, in 2018. Yeah. And what were you what were you a part of in New York? Like what was the landscape socially or politically for you? You know, it was a time of transition. Um I never, it took me a while to figure out what I was doing. Sure. Because it's like, I had come from, um, okay, it's like I was in my late 30s and I was like feeling, in San Francisco, I was starting to feel like there was nothing ahead of me, you know, in certain ways. It was like, um, like it might be easy for me to settle into the flow of like being an elder in the community or something, someone who just did their thing and had some books out and, you know, it was just kind of like floating along. Um, I couldn't figure out what to do that. I, I was really restless for something new. And, um, and like, I was also tired in some ways of like, I was like, had been so involved in activism for so long, but I was really kind of tired of like, a certain kind of leftist thinking that I felt like didn't have any mystery in it. You know, like I felt like the world couldn't entirely be explained with a material analysis, the materialist analysis. And that was like all that was around me, you know? Um, the organizing you were doing just for us to understand what, what those groups were. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, March 21st, right? So 20 years ago today, I was part of the shutdown of the city of San Francisco where um, when the Gulf War started, there were, um, um, you know, six months of open planning or four months of open planning of affinity groups that announced we're going to shut down the city when the war starts. And then all those groups worked in a decentralized way to carry that out for several days at the start of the war. Um, but mostly I was working, I mean, we did a lot of anti-war stuff at this time, and I was working mostly with like white punk activists and queers. Um, and um, peripherally with like gay shame, um, but was like, mostly was doing anti-gentrification stuff because that was the big issue for us in San Francisco. And I worked for years at the Coalition on Homelessness. So I did a lot of street organizing um, around civil rights issues for homeless people. Like I would go out into the streets and ask people questions about like um, what had been going on in the neighborhood. Like are certain cops bucking with you, that kind of thing. And um, we did all kinds of stuff. Like we would like 
like if there was a cop in the Castro that was known for like kicking people awake at six in the morning when he did his rounds, we would go out with like a video camera. Like I would go with someone else from the coalition and we would like, I would like lay in a doorway and see if the cop would kick me and the person would, would be there with the video camera, that kind of thing. Um, so we could get, you know, garner like um, evidence against these um, illegal practices and we would represent people um we would help them get their quality of life tickets thrown out in court because that was one of the major ways to fuck with homeless people was to write these tickets for drinking in public and trespassing and stuff. Um, and so it was a lot of work around that, a lot of work around gentrification, which was the hot issue of San Francisco, starting with the initial tech wave in the late 90s. <clears throat> um, and, you know, by the time that I left, like like so many people had been kicked out you know like the city was really like not recognizable as the place that i had moved to um in the early 90s and excuse me so many community spaces had been shut down and so many left institutions and collectives and that kind of thing um so it was really kind of just like depressing like the people that were still there were like people who were like lucky to have some good rent control situation and there was a vibe that we were all just like sad you know we were all like scraping by and that we were living inside of an occupied situation like that our neighborhoods had been taken over by these like um really like um uncaring wealthy young white people you know um from the tech industry and so I was also just tired of like being inside of that. I had been living in the Tenderloin for several years. Most of my time I lived in San Francisco, I lived in Skid Row or the Tenderloin area. And that's where most of my activism was like with the Coalition on Homelessness and, um, and tenants groups in the Tenderloin and the SRO hotels. <clears throat> and um, Twitter bought, um, a building down there to make into their headquarters. And so even that part of town started to get a lot of gentrification. And the building that I had been living in was bought and was going to be turned into a micro hotel, whatever that is. Um, that's all I know about, about it now is that word. <laughs> um, and so it kind of felt like I was like, it's just time to go, you know, like it's time to do something else. And I was unhappy in all these ways. And I got to New York and I felt like, you know, I tried to plug into the punk scene because I used to be, you know, I was like so much up in the punk scene in the Bay Area, but like, I felt like, and those are the people that like knew me, who knew my bands and stuff and were like inviting, but I felt like it was like, like it wasn't a political punk scene and there weren't like really like women and queers involved in the way that in San Francisco it had been like dominated by women and queers. So it didn't feel like the way I wanted it to feel. And so I was like, okay, I need to find something else to do here. And then, but then in the activism stuff in New York, I felt a little bit like, like, maybe I just shouldn't talk. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? I just felt like I, like there are all these people who were like, I don't know, they were like theorists, you know? I don't know. They were like, they were like going to NYU and they were like, they're like, I have a theory about what we could do. And I'd be like, yeah, we did that in San Francisco. And they'd be like, oh, that's not real because it didn't happen in New York, you know? 
and I'd be like, well, we did it. That was what my whole life was like, you know, I'm like kind of an old person now, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know. Um, and so I just kind of couldn't crack that code either exactly, but I, I was maybe looking for something else. And so at that point, you know, I was like a sober person and I was like, okay, I'm a queer person and I don't know how to be queer yet and I don't get drunk and I don't go to parties. And I'm like, how am I going to like figure out how to be, become a queer person <laughs> in this, in this like lonely landscape? Um, and then meanwhile, I continued to work on projects that were related to San Francisco. So I didn't quite make the divorce for a minute because the Streetopia art show I was doing, <clears throat> um, which was this really large undertaking of like, I don't know, there was like a hundred artists. There was 40 days of free events. We operated a free cafe in an um, art space that was like a tenderloin free cafe that was like a diggers inspired kind of thing that happened every day for you know it's just like a lot of effort with a lot of people and it didn't happen until like 2012 and then the book of it was done in 2014 or 15 and so I was also kind of still just like my projects were related to finishing up my life in SF and so that's it wasn't until like the Streetopia book came out and I started going on the tour and stuff where I was like, okay, I need to make a major change. You know, like I, like, yeah, my world needs to change. I just, yeah, I was curious about what you meant by, I didn't know how to be a queer person and how you overcame that. Well, I guess I should back up a little, like earlier on, like around 2004, I had, um, like, I had been, I had had like a punk rock name, you know, and was like this, like, punk rock figure or whatever you know for a while in the punk scene do you want to name with that like just for us to have like historical yeah I, yeah I used to do a magazine called scam and I was known as Iggy scam and that was like it's like totally random thing that happened like when I was in high school someone gave me this name Iggy and I was so glad to like have someone acknowledge that I existed that I took it and then I started doing the magazine scam when I moved to, when, I, when I was kicked out of my parents house and so when you're in punk rock, like whatever your project is becomes your last name. <laughs> it's like you, if you're in a band called like, you know, the buttfuckers, then you're like Mike buttfucker. <laughs> That's just how it is. You know? And so, um, so I became that character and it was like, you know, that's maybe what I meant a little bit earlier was like, I was like, oh, cool. Like I'm doing this magazine and people really love it and they love my bands and it's helping me connect with people in the rest of the country. And so there was a way that I was like trying to be that thing because it was like a way to like propel myself out of like oblivion. You know, I was like, had just like got kicked out onto the street and spent all these months living on the street and then was like figuring out how to like have a life and be like, um, be connected to something greater than myself through that. And so it was like when I was in my late twenties, like, yeah yeah and then that world like had a lot of like um there was a lot of drinking involved in it it was like really related to like like what the punk rock like what the thing we romanticized was like drinking was like part of it you know and um and at some point like in my later 20s I was like starting to think about my childhood abuse and was like seeing the ways that it had like affected me and realizing that I needed to quit drinking in order to like feel the pain from that time in order for it to heal. Like I was never going to like get past it if I couldn't face it. And I just like, you know, I 
yeah, I guess classic Saturn return or something, but I was like, here I am in this time where like, it's not working for me to be this person anymore. And it's not working for me to be like a person who drinks. Um, and I want something different and I have to change. And so I quit using that name and I quit drinking and, um, and it was like, it kind of sucked for a minute, you know, it was like people, like people in my community were like bombed, you know, like all the people who drank were like, why are you, why are you judging me? You know, like, what's your problem? That's how like alcoholics tend to take it when you quit drinking is that it's a judgment on them. Um, and like, I would travel around and like all these kids would be like, you let us down, <laughs> you know, like, because <laughs> Iggy Scan was like, I guess some kind of punk rock superhero to them, you know, like I was like, doing whatever, um, fighting the man, you know, in a certain way. And I was like, well, I still want to do all that stuff. You know, I just don't want to be drunk and I want to be called this other thing. And people were like, no, no, that's not cool. And so I received so much friction from that, um, which is good. You know, it helped me reevaluate like, you know, what my, what like my actual friendships were because the people that were there for me were my real friends. Um, but it was like, when I got to a little, like later, like a little bit later down the road where I was like, okay, now I want to be like a queer person, maybe even a trans person. It was excruciating to think about facing that kind of public, like, like, um, dismay again, you know, where people were like, what, what are you asking of me? You know, like, which didn't turn out to be the case, you know, but that was how I had built it up in my mind was that like changing is, is like excruciating, you know, I am a Taurus um and i'm good at change but it hurts and um and so i is, is that background noise picking up now a lot somebody just started like vacuuming outside or something are you hearing that yeah. okay good okay sorry. i just wanted to make sure we didn't fuck up the recording um because it's really loud where i am but Okay, so yeah, that's kind of what I mean was that I was just like, oh, the process of like really publicly changing my identity again feels like really daunting, especially moving to New York. Like I, I remember saying at the time, like I felt like so like the way New York is about itself, you know, it's like the way that people discounted like all of the things I had done in San Francisco or something or were just like... Like, I felt like, like, in Miami, where I'm from, there's always this, like, people talk about, like, like, oh, my father was, like, the, you know, the professor at the university in Havana, and then was a janitor in Miami or something, you know, and I was like, that's how I felt. I was like, in San Francisco, I was like, this like respected author <laughs> in New York. I'm just like, you know, people are pissed at me and shit, you know. Um, and so I was like, the thought of, yeah, I just was like in a hard place. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to like change again, you know? But in the end, it was like that loneliness of it was actually what made it possible, you know, in some ways it was like, oh, well, you know, here I am. Like I had time to think about it and time to figure it out a little bit. And then, um, and I think the other thing too was, yeah, just like not knowing how to connect socially, like, because it's like I had been a young, when I was a younger person, it was like drinking was how people met each other and got into relationships. And I was like, not, so I was like, not exactly sure. And in San Francisco, it's like most of my friends were queer. 
but in New York, I just didn't really actually didn't like know that many people, you know, like the people I tended to know were like punk rock kids who were straight or like, or like white activists who were straight. Um, so yeah, I was, wasn't sure how to connect. And um, in the end, like, in the end, it was no problem at all, really. You know, it's, it's like what ended up happening is that like my body took over and was like, now you have to be out. Like, I just, it just started. Like, I just, like, was, like, in that forest. And then the next thing, the next day, I'm, like, you know, at the Goodwill getting all the clothes. And then I never looked back, like, once, you know. Um, as soon as I started being an out trans person, it felt so good that I couldn't imagine going back. Um, even though I didn't have, for, like, six months, I didn't have any conception like I didn't have any way to explain or articulate what was happening even though probably many people could see it <clears throat> I wasn't like oh I'm a trans person now like this these are my pronouns I was like I don't know what's going on but this is how I am <laughs> and it's awesome you know and um and like all of my friends were fine with that and it brought all these new people into my life immediately and it was great and it was like what should have happened earlier and it sucks being resistant to change sometimes and that's probably the point in some ways of doing interviews like this is people read these interviews and I'm sure most people say, take hormones sooner, like, don't wait, just like do it. If you think it's going to be better, go for it. Like, you know, the only way to know is to know and the odds are you're going to be happier. And that's how I felt. Mm, how would you describe your gender? Um, how do I describe my gender? I mean, that's, that's like the tricky one, too, because that's like, like, it, you know, again, it's like another like external versus internal thing. So it's like, it's like if you have to navigate the society in a certain way, like, um, and these are the questions that get asked about gender, then like, I feel like I identify as a woman, but like, what is what is a woman exactly? You know, I'm not sure that anyone knows the answer to that question. Um with any certainty and so that's where I feel I um feel most comfortable but um I would prefer that we you know could dispense with that like binary thinking and and like um that we all wouldn't have to think about it so hard definitely and so wouldn't have um, to fill out you wouldn't have to what we wouldn't have to fill out all these forms right um so when you started to transition in New York um were you socializing in different spaces or spaces that you can name that helped bring you to different people um that's a good question you know um I mean I think like in some ways like one thing that was really lucky for me was that like um and this is probably like influenced my um ability to transition in some ways was that you know the time like late 2016 you know even though that did come with the election of Donald Trump and it was clear that like things were about to get politically really like really hard um I mean in fact like I I knew that that was part of my transition was I was like okay things are about to get really hard and I want to be on the right team you know like I want to be where I belong when this thing gets hard because I, I the only way to face it is going to be to be living an honest life and um to be, be engaged with reality and so I was like okay I have to be out trans now because it's about to get really hard 
Um, and so, um, but like those years also were like years where there was like a lot of new, um, you know, things that were helpful for trans people like Medicaid, like, you know, and, um, and so because, you know, it's like the, um, the pros and cons of the visibility that came in the mid 2010s, you know, was that it like, in some ways, obviously it was like unsafe for trans people, but in other ways it made it seem more viable. You're like, oh, I want to do this. Like there's actually more people. It's like, it's, it's like, it's easier to connect with right now in some ways, like both like medically and bureaucratically and sort of society in society, there's like, beginning to be a dawning understanding of this identity and you can the legibility can ease of your transition into this um new identity um and so um in new york at that time there were so many like trans spaces it felt like or spaces where they're like just like young people were like trans you know it's like and i mean it's still kind of like that way there's just like people in their 20s there's like a lot of trans people in brooklyn that are in their 20s and they're around and so it was really easy to um you know i just started going to those places and like i would go to like the glove or something or i would go to like i don't know what was that cafe that was on decal but it was like by my house i could walk to uh flowers right what's it called yeah like by broadway yeah i'd like walk up there and just be like this is a place where i can be like a brand new trans person in public and like have my first like experiences of some creepy man hitting on me <laughs> etc <laughs> or or have my first experiences of some super cute young queer just being like hi i love your shes um and i and that was really great you know and there was there was enough places to go and just be in public that it made it a lot easier to endure the grueling subway rides mm -hmm. <laughs> and how do you feel like or i don't know if you've how long you spent in New York, but do you feel like there's been a an arc in trans community or how people have evolved over the years together? Uh, I don't know that I would be the one to speak to that. I feel like there's so many elders that have been just like, you know, being like in trans community for decades, you know, like I, like I wouldn't want to make any kind of like statement about what trans communities like I feel like um I have been able to access like a satisfying amount of trans community that feels really good for me um both in the city and upstate you know so that feels good totally um and how do you feel like more broadly about like trans visibility with like media and just like the ways in which it's like reached a tipping point right yeah it's such a it's such a um that question, you know, has taken on a new edge with all of these uh, anti-trans laws, right? With the backlash that, you know, in many ways seemed inevitable. Um, and like, I'm still struggling to understand exactly what would be better for us um, as a people right now. I mean, I... Let me try to unpack this a little for myself for a second to think about this moment, you know, because it's like, excuse me, um, it's like, there's a, 
I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to say I would have anything new to say about like the 2014 tipping point or something. So I like maybe wouldn't even want it to like go there too much because it's like we all know. You know, in some ways, it's not even specific to trans people. It's like what happens when there's media images about like what your life is, what like the ideal life looks like, and then the, how that makes how that makes everyone feel who's not that image, right? You know, that happens for trans people in visibility, but it happens for everybody in this society too. You know, um, like we're in this image-based society, and there's constantly an ideal being projected. You know with trans people that could be like, if you don't have like certain surgeries or you don't pass in certain ways, then you're not really trans or you're, you know, you're like inferior in some way or things that might make you feel more dysphoric, you know? So we, we all know that, but I think in this moment now, the, the quest, like the question of visibility becomes like a little bit of a question of like, um, like, I don't think we, can like hide fully at this point you know it's like and I don't think that's I don't think like going backwards to hiding is like entirely a good idea or something you know like I think like I think we want to fight for the um for the right to exist fully in our bodies and ourselves as we want to be and um I don't want to be in an underground life in any form you know like um and so I think that like, um, but the question is like, how do we use, how are we able to use visibility or not to help ourselves right now? And that's a tough question. Like I struggle with like, so like for instance, you know, in like the social media world, um, every single day now for the last two years, you know, there's been like some anti-trans legislation being advanced somewhere in the country. This has been, it's not just this year, it's been really since Biden was um, sworn in that that's become the tactic of the right. And so, you know, two years ago, I would be like sharing these articles online and being like, like, do you, do you people see what's going on? You know, trying to like, you know, and it was a really lonely feeling of like, looking at social media and seeing like all the trans people I know are like losing their mind with like fear and all the cis people are like still posting pictures of their food or whatever, you know? And I'm just like, okay guys, like, are you with us or not? Like, um, but then like, is that an effective way? You know, so, yeah. So, so that's like 2021 and then 2022, I'm like, okay, but like, what is it that I want people to like do if I post an article online? Like, what is my ask of cis people? Maybe I need to think a little bit more clearly about what kind of support I want to ask for from my friends. And like, if I'm just like posting these articles all the time, I'm just like also contributing to this like um, climate of like making my fellow trans people feel like insane, you know, <laughs> and like, and also just contributing to a sense of like helplessness and like um, numbness that's like ambient right now with everybody. Um, and so like, what kind of like, what kind of, again, this isn't talking about activism, which is actually like organizing and doing things to help each other, but this is talking about visibility, you know? Cause like, cause posting on social media is not activism, right? So, so it's like, it's, 
so, but I, I'm still struggling now. I got to a point last year where I'm like, I'm never going to like share one of those articles again because it just makes trans people crazy. And no cis person is like, like there's not a cis person in my life that is like paying attention, that like has anything more to say about this than just like that sucks, you know? Um, it's just a fact, you know? <clears throat> and so, and so I don't know I'm I'm still trying to understand the answer to that. It's like, what can we ask for for solidarity from cis people right now? Um, my sense is that trans people need to be looking to each other right now in this moment for the most help. And we need to be organizing with each other, um, both, uh, both in visible and invisible ways. I think that trans people need to be thinking about how to be rowdy in public and fuck shit up in an act up kind of way. But then we also need to be thinking about safe houses and like making hormones and, you know, that kind of thing, like the things that we need to like socially reproduce ourselves into the future and offer mutual aid to each other. So, um, I'm not sure what to do about visibility right now. I really don't know, but like, I don't think we're, I don't think we're gonna be able to just like go back or something, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's like, I went through this in another community as well. You know, it's like, I mean, it's like when I was a kid, punk rock became, went from being this like top secret elite, like underground club to being like the dominant culture. Um, <laughs> enough to where I'm like in this little Florida town and there's like on St. Patrick's Day like you know like some cover band at a bar playing outside is like playing like Green Day songs you know for like St. Patrick's Day you know? <laughs> you know and I'm just like oh yeah Green Day right I remember being in the van with those guys in 1991 like in Florida actually <laughs> you know like, right cool um you know, it's like the punks are like boomers, you know, now it's like our culture is like reign supreme. It's like we live in a punk rock universe. It's very mainstream. And so like when I was a kid, it was like, what's going to happen now that it's visible, you know, and it's like what happened was there was more punks and the, the culture got bigger and it got broader and people had more cultural power and, you know, for better or worse. And like it would be great if like um as many trans people as possible were as visible as possible and we're like taking up as much space as possible and having the, the greatest life possible that they could have and not having to worry about it that like um what would be wrong with that being so visible mm. so. Mm -mm -mm. how is that just thinking about the um punk rock arc how do you really <laughs> how do you relate to to um that life now or that like your relationship to music given it's like travels through, you know, time in history? Well, I, um, you know, continued to play, like professionally, I was playing punk rock. I was in a band called Bikini Kill that was a band of that era of the 90s that had reunited and I was playing guitar for them um, for several years. And so that was something yeah, I was still involved in punk rock. I'm not personally playing punk rock music on my own right now, though. I've become um, more interested in experimental and improv music. And so I've been, my guitar stuff has been improv for a couple of years. I was in like a um, more free jazz band for a while. And then now I'm doing solo stuff with improv guitar. <clears throat> and um. Which is not to say that I wouldn't join a rock band again or something like last year I 
did a benefit record with a fella named Vice Cooler um, that was like pretty much a punk rock record where we got all these like famous punk rock singers to sing on songs that we wrote as a benefit for the Northeast uh, Farmers of Color Land Trust, New Folk, um, to raise money to buy land for Black farmers and Indigenous farmers. And that was a very straight ahead, like, rock and punk record. Um, but the music I play mostly, and when I'm going on tour next month, um, and the record I just put out, it's all it's all improv music, like solo guitar playing. And um, in some ways, that playing has become more related to... Um, it's like I've been trying to find a way to align my playing more closely with my political and spiritual values in some way than like playing with Bikini Kill or playing for other people. And there's a way that like, um, like improv music is about, for me, is about presence. So it is like coming from this place of somatic awareness. It's like you're really in the moment with it and like, um, trying to follow along as it comes in real time and um and i think like like that practice it just yeah it feels like an ongoing practice like you know it's it's more like a live experience it's more like a, a flow it's like a piece of a river flow or something than like than the way like a um a studio record has felt in the past for me when I was making more traditional songs with structure with people um and so there's a way that like it's a loop like doing the music like kind of continues to reify this like somatic practice and my sense of ritual and it's it just keeps me kind of engaged in that form of presence and um you know what I was thinking about with the um the record I just made for the Atlanta Forest people is in some ways I was thinking about um, like I wanted to put improv music in, in conversation with what they're doing in some ways because I was thinking about the ways that improv music is a practice of opening yourself up to the unexpected and, um, and, and creating the conditions where the unexpected can occur. And um, I think that there's so much in the, in the, uh, in the scroll, right, of social media. And there's so much in narrative, like capitalism is really dependent on narrative that like tomorrow is gonna be the same as today. And so you can bet on it financially and move into it. Um, and there's a way that improv sort of like goes into this other place outside of past and present, I mean, outside of past and future where something else feels possible. And um, I, you know, I'm trying to propose that as like a life practice in some ways that we can get out of this like sense of helplessness that like we're we're just like moving inexorably into this like doomed future of fascism, but actually we we can create the conditions for the unexpected to happen. Um, we can like retreat into this hyper present space together. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. I guess that um, leads to one of our like wrap up questions, which we don't need to necessarily wrap up, but something that um, one of them is like, if you wanted people to hear one thing from you, what would it be? Just like in terms of legacy, like what are the things that you're kind of like, 
yeah, maybe it's all enwrapped in what you were saying, but if there's if there's more, like, like about being trans. Oh, just so, like um, just to put on the record for the future. Uh, yeah. Well. Oh wow, the future. Hmm. <laughs> the I mean, admired future, yeah. Uh, I think that I mean it's just like I don't know. There's like um I hope that trans people are speaking to the future by just existing, you know, like it's like it is a it is a somatic practice to um to to be an out trans person, to make your body the site of futurity and to to be like, no, there's another world that we could be inside of it. In fact, I am inside of it. Um, just, you know, just like we have this parallel Florida that you can slip into behind the mall. There's this parallel experience that you could have inside of your body at any moment if you chose to. <laughs> and so I think that like, um, you know, that's that's what I'm hoping for. Is I'm hoping for that there's a time in the future where people would would read the would hear all these interviews and be like, oh, cool, like look, these people were struggling at that time, but now it's like, you know, now there is no gender. <laughs> that's great, you know. Um, but as far as like actual trans people, what I would say to them is just like my principal sadness in life is that I wish that I had been able to figure out how to be present with myself enough to come out earlier as a trans person so I would say just like if if it's on your mind like really lean into it I think like I think it's worth it and despite they you know it's like they want you to think that like it's not viable and you're under attack and there's no future and all that but it's it's still better no matter what it's better it, it's just it's 100% better than you know, whatever. I mean, I've been under attack my whole life, but um, so maybe I'm just inured to it, but I feel like you just got to do it. It's going to be better. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Aviva.